0: Hey guys, Bobby here. So no post show today, but I do want to share with you a podcast that I did with Keith Urban. It's basically an hour long. of just Keith Urban and I talking. Um, I love it. You know, when he comes on the radio show, we don't always have an hour, but he came over to my house and this is an episode of the Bobby cast. So if you like this, go subscribe to the Bobby cast after this. You don't have to listen to every episode, but so many upcoming artists, so many massive artists that just want time to talk. And that's what this was about. We talked about growing up in Australia, his relationship with his dad, how he started playing guitar, how he went to rehab to overcome addiction, so much more. And so the Bobbycast is all about just stretching out, having long conversations, more than we can do in 10 minutes, 12 minutes on the radio show. So that being said, go go subscribe to the Bobbycast if you don't mind. Here's episode 327 of the Bobbycast with Keith Urban. Hope you like it. Hey, All right, in with Keith Urban, which it's, uh, Caitlin sends her best, my oh, wife. Yeah. She just said, Keith's coming over? I said, yeah. She said, tell him, first of all, thank you for the, the wedding gift. You sent us the nicest sheets we've ever owned in our entire life.
1: Nice. So, you, sh- you should stay in more often.
0: You know, I she uh, got on to me a little bit because you probably don't do this, but I still have to at times. I have to spray tan.
1: Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay.
0: And I got into the sheets and spray tan Ooh, once. right. And she reminded me how nice of sheets they were. Right and that I should never do that again.
1: And then you reminded her how much expensive tanning was, and it didn't work. Uh,
0: the tanning does not really hold a candle to <laughs> the, the <laughs>
1: nice To the destroyed sheet. Yes, there, but they yeah. weren't
0: destroyed, and right. they all came out wonderfully, but she said, tell him thank you. Huh. And she had even That's asked, funny. and you tell me, because we had written uh, you and your lovely wife a thank you card, <clears throat> but we thought we would just mail it instead of handing it to you. Which would have been more awkward, to, to hand it to you in person or just to get it in like a
1: normal in the mail? Either way. Both are fine? Yeah. And you could have even not sent it, but told me that you didn't. That's the thought that counts. I said that too to people.
0: And I yeah. said, hey, what if I just send people a message for a wedding gift? Right. Like a video message, a yes. heartfelt sure. message. Sure, absolutely. Human. Yeah. and said, I'm hey. good with that. And I said, but everybody just roasted me. Right. Like it was the dumbest thing they'd ever heard. Oh, wow. Well. Because they just love the tradition of the hand. If someone sends me a thank you card for something I expect a thank you card for. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like it means as much. If I get a thank you card for something, I don't expect a thank you card. Absolutely. That's awesome.
1: I hear you. You know? Yeah, it's, it's a complicated etiquette, isn't it?
0: Is this back home? <laughs> is it so etiquette y? Back in like Australia, <laughs> New <laughs> Zealand? It's, yeah.
1: Etiquette y or, or Is this an Ameri- is a dumb
0: American thing where we have this? You know, is this, is this a thing there with after if someone gets married back in New Zealand? Right? I
1: had to learn the whole thing about thank you cards because I didn't grow up with any of that. I think my family was not that etiquette at all. Etiquette-y, a term we've just said? No, they, they were not at yeah. all. I, I, I had to learn the hard way here that you write thank you notes to people. That was, I was, that was completely foreign to me. I remember once you were kind enough to invite me over to your place. It was um,
0: a Christmas and we were in Australia. You said, hey, you should come over. And I was talking to you about music in Australia, New Zealand, and country music in particular. Mm. And I was like, what is country music like here? And you, you had kind of expressed to me that country music there is kind of AM, like it's a different kind of homebred, folksy country in Australia. Now, some of the, the American version is getting over there, right. but it's hard to find country music on the radio in Australia.
1: Well, the, the struggle for Australian country artists is there isn't the big mainstream infrastructure that there is here in America. You know, here we have FM country stations everywhere. you got satellite radio. You've got uh, multiple video platforms. This is even preceding YouTube with CMT and, and GAC. None of that existed in Australia. So there was a lot of country artists wanting to make more mainstream-sounding country music, but there wasn't the platforms for it. And to some degree, that's still a struggle there.
0: So how, growing up there, did you attach yourself to the thought of country music and that that's the kind of music you wanted to make? Or were you naturally just making it, and it was the most organic place for you to fit musically here?
1: It, well, I mean, Nashville was just the destination. Why? why? Why was it the destination? It was written on the back of all the records that my dad had. Um, Dom Williams, mostly. And uh, Glenn Campbell, Charlie Pride, Merle Haggard. Uh, all of those records all sit on the back of them, recorded in Nashville, Tennessee. So as a kid, I'm like, oh, that's where you go to make records, period. I just thought that's where you go if you want to make a record.
0: But how did your dad get so involved in music from Nashville? Because not, not all was from Nashville. Yeah. You're talking about country music, like other than Bob Dylan, Nashville Skyline. Right. You know, there's, there weren't a lot of, uh, I don't know if pop would be the word, or Nashville wasn't big unless it was country Americana. Sure, but how yeah, did your yeah. dad get involved in that scene musically?
1: So in the 50s, he was playing in a band in the 50s. He was a drummer. And he played in a band called the Ricochets in New Zealand. And In the 50s, rock and roll happened in the mid-50s, right? So it made its way down to New Zealand. My dad got obsessed with rock and roll and consequently American movies, American cars. We always had American cars growing up, which is crazy in Australia. And he was just in love with America. And he loved rock and roll in the 50s all through the 60s. And then in the late 60s when rock and roll kind of went in in a bigger kind of different direction than... I mean, the origins of rock and roll is really rockabilly. You know, there was, there was a country element in, in early rock and roll. So when rock then became more rock as we knew it through the 60s, 70s, my dad went, oh, that's kind of a little too hard for me. And the, here's the connection. There was a group called the Pozo Seiko Singers, which was a folk group in the 60s. And one of the members of that group was a guy called Donald Williams. And then he broke away from that group, dropped the Donald, became Don Williams, and went country. And my dad just followed him. That was really it.
0: And so you growing up listening to that music, that was your music in the house?
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, and my mom loved Neil Diamond, Everly Brothers. Um, My brother was into ELO and Super Tramp and Eagles and Fleetwood Mac. So that was all the fusion.
0: How proficient was your dad with a guitar?
1: Oh, terrible with guitar. Great with drums, but terrible on guitar.
0: So for you, was it drums at first, or were other people playing a guitar around you, and you were like, Dang that that's it for me"?
1: No, I, they said. Mum and dad bought me a, a ukulele when I was five, and I guess as a toy. I mean, and and my dad said I could strum it in time with songs on the radio. I wasn't playing any chords, but the rhythm was there. So um,
0: rhythm, which. I mean, possibly from him. Definitely, yeah. yeah.
1: And my grandfather played piano, so all of my dad's mus- uh, brothers were all musical, trumpet, piano, guitar, uh, drums, four brothers. Uh, so it was all musical. And and I just took to guitar, I guess, because of the ukulele.
0: Was he the dad that wanted you to follow in his fu- footsteps of, hey, if I'm musical, I think it's cool that you're musical? Or, like so many people in the creative world, It's I've seen what a beast this can be. Right, like I would like to push you away from it, unless you push so
1: hard back that you want to get in it. Yeah, that that was it, definitely. Because I, I I I hated. I wasn't very disciplined as a kid. I, I don't know if you can relate to that, Bobby. But were you disciplined as a kid? Because are you disciplined now? Bobby?
0: Yes. Because of the addiction <laughs> that my mom had right. and my dad left. You know, because I was by myself with my dad bailing out when I was six. Right my right. mom being a drug addict her entire life, I was so disciplined that I di- I couldn't go down that path mm. or I was going to just go down the path and live in in that path. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm. you know, even today, I've never had a drink of alcohol because I feel the addict in me right. with other things I do. Right. So I'm extremely disciplined until I'm not, and then mm-hmm. I'm off the end.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I have to find, and I don't know if, you have to do this at times. Well, I have to find my healthy addictions. And I don't know if that's a, if that's a safe <laughs> thing to say. Sure. But I need to be addicted to something. So I have to find the healthiest thing for me to be addicted to because my natural gravity is to go to something and in, and, and invest myself all the way in it so much so that it is unhealthy. So I got to find the healthiest version of that. Right. <laughs> because <laughs> it's just in me. Intrinsically, like sure. I, 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 yes, I am so disciplined to a fault. Right. To, because I know I had one instance where I really felt it and I do want to get back to, you know, talking about your, your parents, but I had one instance when I was, um, I got jumped and got a gun to my head and I had a bunch of like trauma in that way where I got held at gunpoint. I had, um, had my house broken into. It was like a lot of things happening when my career was just starting to take off and I didn't take it seriously yet. And I was right. having some, some threats from the outside and i couldn't sleep and so my doctor was like hey you should if you can't sleep and you're sick you should take sleeping pills mm. took them had trouble with them couldn't get off of them
1: mm, mm. and i was
0: like oh my god were you
1: taking them and staying up
0: and I w- enjoying yes. that side of them well <laughs> yeah i don't remember i don't remember right. yeah i don't remember right and so i would take these sleeping pills mm. and i remember the day where i went oh I- i'm stuck I'm stuck, wow. and it was the only time because I remember my mom being because so you bad. couldn't sleep
1: without them. Couldn't or? sleep
0: with couldn't sleep without them. Right, felt like they were tethered to me anywhere I went. At any point, I had mm. to have them with me because mm. it, if I needed to sleep, that was the only way I could go. Right, and I uh, remember thinking, "Oh, I'm, i I can't I can't beat this right now. Mm. Like this has got a hold of me." Mm. And it was the only time that I ever related to my mom wow. because she had been in right. rehab in and out, and I'd always thought, "Why can't you just beat it?" Yeah but I just had a smidgen of it. Yeah. And I was like, oh God, this is it. Yeah. And so because of that and how I grew up, I, I'm i extremely disciplined. Right. So to answer your easy question about life and music, yeah. I, you know, I do have that discipline in me from uh, I gotta be or I'm gonna go off.
1: Yeah. That and, makes sense.
0: And not be completely. Yeah. So I was disciplined. As a child, you were not disciplined.
1: No, I wasn't. Um... I think just being an artist uh, comes with a sense of being able to create and so there's a a sense of just freedom and liberation. Also, as the youngest, you know, I had an older brother and I think it's not uncommon for the younger sibling to potentially be a little more like, well, everyone else takes care of everything. I'm fine, I'm just floating along. So, If your
0: older brother played music, how come you didn't get stuck with the bass?
1: Yeah, he didn't play. We started playing guitar at the exact same time. I was six, he was eight. And he started on a steel string acoustic and I started on one with nylon strings. And he, he just couldn't hack it and gave up pretty quick. And to your point about my dad, I went into my dad one time and said, these str- these, these, I, I hate playing guitar. And my dad goes, all right, well then don't do it. Mm. And I was like, "Ah, that's not what I wanted. I wanted him to <laughs> tell me I have to do it and get into a fight. So it was kind of reverse psychology that worked really well.
0: What was the relationship like with your dad and you as you became... 12 fourteen 16 years
1: old uh, my dad's alcoholic was um, he's not here anymore um, but he was alcoholic his whole life and never just never dealt with it you know so my brother and I classic adult children of alcoholic raised and uh, I got the same genetic disposition as my dad and my brother didn't have that you know? really just so doesn't have it no
0: it's wild because I feel it I have it right. And and luckily, I I saw it early. Mm. But it's crazy that you would have it and your brother doesn't.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but then he has no hair and I have hair. So it's a (laughs) fair trade.
0: (laughs) Did you feel like (laughs) as you tried to achieve musically, you were doing it for you or you were doing it somewhat to create a bond to your dad that maybe wasn't there because of other circumstances?
1: Uh, Probably uh, both, you know, both and, you know. I think... um, in, in the song, we have Wild Hearts. Uh, you know, there's a song about it, opens with Johnny Cash, you know, Saw the Man in Black. Because when I was five, dad, mom and dad took us to see Johnny Cash. And I'm, I remember so much about that concert. But the thing I, I think that is subconsciously in me was I, I was really taken by how my dad was staring at this guy on stage and probably thinking, how do I get my dad to look at me like that? Right. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if I saw it. It's hard to know, right? Mm -hmm. Was that, was that, did I recognize in that person on stage with the guitar, did I recognize something that I was going to do or something that I wanted to do or something that I should do? I I don't know. It doesn't really matter in the
0: end. When did it start to be, and I'm not going to say the word easy. I don't think that's fair to you, but when did it start to be that you had an understanding that you could actually create and manipulate with that instrument?
1: tuesday this week this week you yeah, ju- yeah, it just, just hit you. yeah it's a great moment you've been missing so.
0: you've been missing a lot <laughs> you've been doing pretty good up until <laughs> tuesday you've had us all fooled yeah was it was it fourteen, fifteen? was it earlier than that where you're like okay i can actually do this at a higher level than like my peers who are doing this
1: uh i don't know if i've ever felt that way
0: really even no. now
1: no i because you know in australia yeah because i've always been around people way better than me always and in australia there's like the local guy playing in the cover band, because people go, who are your influences? I'm like, "Ah, oh, the guy in the local cover band, Barry Clough, and then Dallas Southam, and then Reg Grant, and all these guys playing in cover bands. I'm 12 years old, 13 years old, watching them going, oh, I wish I could play that good. And then at some point, you play that good, and so you're already looking to the next guy. Oh, I wish I could play as good as him. And you just, your, your influences keep moving.
0: Who was it for you that was your favorite, your first favorite artist? where you really clicked and you're like, that's my favorite. Your own. That's a
1: good question. Gosh, I don't know.
0: For Um, me, I'll I'll vamp a bit as you think about that so you can have a good answer. For me, you know, it was was John Mayer whenever he was starting because I felt someone writing the things that I was thinking and I never had, had experienced that before. Wow. He's a couple years older than I am, but I was like, wow, this guy. One, I liked his tone, I liked his style, but he was saying things it was like a really good comedian. You know how you go, oh, I always thought that. I just didn't know how to say it like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I'd ever heard that in song. Right. And I thought, wow, he's he's kind of speaking for me. Musically, Is the first time that it ever happened. So right. he became my first ever, like, that's my favorite artist. Ah. There have been others that, that since I've done that. I'm a big Counting Crows guy, too. You know. Yep. Um. But John Mayer was it for me. Now that I've given you a little time, mm. who do you think it is for you?
1: Well, <clears throat> what I actually think about is uh, John Mellencamp is the is the guy that's coming to mind. Um, the reason is I grew up playing all this country music, right? Going to all these talent quests and different competitions playing country music. But then I got to be 12, 13, 14. I left school at 15. I was playing in a cover band at 15. So we're just doing top 40. And I'm playing in all the pubs in Australia and the pubs are rough places, you know, just concrete floor, hose it out at the end of the night, rough crowd, no holes barred. If you suck, they will let you know you suck. And I grew up playing in that very rock environment. And so I loved country, I loved rock, I loved Top 40. I'm like, what the hell do I do? Who am I musically? And then John put out Lonesome Jubilee, which was an album that had songs like Paper and Fire, Check It Out, Cherry Bomb, yada, yada, yada. And it was rock but it had like fiddle and it had accordion and everything so we went to see him in concert on that tour, I was playing in a cover band the band got tickets we went to see him and we were way up in the nosebleeds in this arena he, him and the band comes out and they play and it was, it was so insanely great and it was rock, country something, whatever the hell was going on, it was literally an epiphany And I saw what John was doing and I went, oh, that's the answer. Mm. You you don't think about labels. Just take all the things you love, figure out how to put them together and and make it be like this. And I was very lucky to meet John many, many years later and tell him that story. And he said, it's so great that that's what you took away from that concert because most people leave the concert and go, I'm going to do that. I'm going to have fiddle in my bed and, and just rip off John Mellencamp. But what I took from it was just do your own thing. Take all the things you love and be original.
0: John Mellencamp, obviously a middle America guy who had country and rock roots at the same mm. time, mm. incorporated them all. How do you see that affecting your show that you do now? Like, what what are the surroundings that you've taken from your life? Because you have a different kind of show. Yeah. Uh, of really anyone. I mean, and I say that in the most complimentary way, and I've told you this off a of microphone too. Like, you do the best live show I've ever seen. You
1: need to get out more, Bobby.
0: And I've seen a lot of live shows. Thank I'm you. jaded at this point too. <laughs> I'm i
1: extremely jaded. <laughs> that's a higher compliment than thank it you. It is, yeah, thank it, it is.
0: I've seen it all, and I don't care to yeah. see any more because it's just part of the life we live, right? Until, right, you, right. but when you're moved, you move so hard when you're jaded, and yeah, to watch that's you perform, true. I I leave and I'm like, God dang, like I just I thought I'd seen it all. So because of that, it it is so. So what do you take? What are your influences that have created what is your project? In the same way that he had taken fiddle and he had taken you know a different kind of percussion.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, and the difference obviously for me is I play guitar. So that becomes a strong point of of the of what I do. I love guitar riffs. I love catchy songs, you know, unapologetically.
0: Energy too.
1: And energy, yeah. And fiercely in the moment mm-hmm. presence, absolutely. And really giving a shit. Like, mm-hmm. really, really. Like, this is the last gig I'll ever play. Every gig is the last gig you'll ever play.
0: That's what I think I want to talk about your shows is not only is it musically wonderful and sonically just the greatest, but there's so much energy there that doesn't feel forced energy. It feels like pure energy. Mm. And there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you go out and you really, I'm like, I want to really work for this show, but it doesn't feel like work. It feels like that's who you are as an artist. Like that's the most genuine version of you. And again, if, you've, if you haven't seen Keith's show, and honestly, this wasn't leading up to the promo of your tour yet, but your tickets are on sale today, mm-hmm. which works in great into this. Um, and it's the, it's the greatest live show I think I've seen because... And I, I don't know why you keep going into the audience. You may not, not do that with COVID now. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's been a pivot. What is wrong? It's been a pivot. I've,
0: <laughs> I've just seen you do it so many times. I'm like, right. what? Like, stop. Right. Like, I'm worried for your own health. Yeah. Like, yeah. people... Um, we were talking to Jerry uh, Flowers. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And he was talking Not to- Jerry Clower. No, Jerry Flowers. Jerry
0: yeah. Clower's Turned
1: one of my favorites too, <laughs> by the way.
0: Woo! You ever meet Jerry Flowers? Jerry
1: Only one time and he is just a pistol. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, but... Uh, the other Jerry, who you were in the ranch with, and mm-hmm. who is your uh, musical leader, band director—I don't know. what Yeah, to and call bass it. player. Yeah. Yep. He said that you guys were doing a private function, and you ran into the crowd, and they were so hyped they started biting you.
1: Uh yeah. <laughs> yes. i
0: was <laughs> like, wait, what? Like, I knew that was going to happen, but it's already mm. happened. Like, they pulled your shirt off, right. And they were biting you. Yeah. And you kind of give off that aura, like you—you you accept that.
1: So we try and feed people before the show now. And <laughs> <laughs> they're very passionate. Our audience is very passionate.
0: Let me say this. The New American Tour, <laughs> the Speed of Now World Tour 2022, 53 shows between June 17th and November 5th of yeah. 2022. There is a full list of dates and tickets right now at keithurban.com. Uh, let's go back. to when, Whenever you're in playing in these cover bands, what was the ceiling for you as far as for your career? When you're... 14, 15, 16 years old, what's the ceiling in your mind Yeah, how far you can get in your career?
1: I never thought of, I don't know. It's so weird. I I was never one of these kids with a plan at all. None. Just, just try and get better. I was playing in this cover band that I talked about in 1988. Went it saw a Camp. yada, yeah, yada, yeah, yada. Yeah. And I wasn't the lead singer. I was guitar playing. and uh, We were, we were pl- it, it was for a cover band, we were doing a couple of thousand people on it on a Sunday afternoon, which was a lot people to come and see this cover band but it was a really good band
0: what was your role in the cover band guitar and lead singer
1: uh well we had a lead singer that wasn't you wasn't me um and the only reason i joined this band was be- i had a manager who was also managing this band it's a long story but I-, I had been in i'd done duos i'd done bands i'd always had my own thing right it was always me always was whatever i was always doing my thing My manager thought, I really need some frontman experience, how to handle a crowd, how to put a set list together, how to put on a show, how to just lead. And so he said, I've got this band. I think you should join the band and watch this frontman because he's amazing and you'll learn so much. So I was with that band for about a year. And he was right. I learned so much from that lead singer. But But one of the things was I wanted to do some original songs. We're doing all these covers. And so I started writing a song and he loved it. And the band learned it and he was going to even sing it and it would be on the set list and I'd be looking at the guys in the band I'm like, here comes our song, here comes our song we're going to get to do our song and he would bail on it every time <laughs> he'd be like, nah, skip that one, let's do Moni Moni and I'm like yeah!" <laughs> and after a while of that I just went, I'm, I'm not, this is going nowhere what are you going to do with covers I want to play original music so I left the band and the drummer and bass player quit at the same time and came and joined me
0: And so then what do you do? Is, is, is it a new name band? Is it, are you
1: it was just me. It was just solo. Um, but then, of course, I couldn't get any work playing original songs. <laughs> and so we resorted to being a, n- another cover band, <laughs> but slipping in my own songs in between the covers, at least. Yeah.
0: And so as you're doing your own music, are, are you in Australia at this point still? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's all in Australia.
0: Yeah. Was the plan to get to the States?
1: At some point, yeah. But I didn't know how or when or nothing. knew nothing about
0: that. Then how did you?
1: So in 1989, uh, my manager got uh, some tickets for us to come over to, to America, and we came to Nashville and spent, stayed down at the Shoney's, which was on the Monbrian, and pitched my crappy demo to all the labels and met with complete silence.
0: <laughs> Is it now it was met with complete silence because it's you're big, famous, and successful or was it really met with complete silence?
1: Then? Oh, no, it was terrible. First of all, it was a terrible demo, which, of course, when you come from, if you're not from here, you think it's pretty pretty good because it's pretty good from where you come from, but it's pretty crap when you get here compared to everything else. And I was just out of, out of step, out of place, out of step. My music didn't fit at all.
0: So what made you think that you could stay and thrive?
1: Because uh, Nashville was like 16th and 17th Ave. And I got here and I went, this is it. Is this it? This is the legendary, iconic music row. Like that's it. I'm like God, oh, this is this is fantastic. It's not New York City. It's not like this is. I'm at home. I love it here. It's great, and I didn't want to leave. And I also foolishly thought. We'll get, I'll get here and I'll start writing songs and I'll record and boom, we'll be off and running in no time. And man, the years just went by and by. And what by. were you doing
0: in those Could you make money though at the time? Like if you're coming from Australia and you're yeah. just visiting, were you able to make money?
1: So I signed a publishing deal with a, a company in Australia that had an office in Nashville. It's very small little wage to, well, it's not even a wage. What is it like? Money that you're going to have to pay them back, right? So I'd come over for a couple of weeks on my own, stay with Crash with somebody, at their house, go and write songs every day with whoever they put me with, you know. That thing that we do here in Nashville, professional songwriters, whenever the new kid in town is, they throw them in with the pro songwriters and see if something happens.
0: Was that weird for you, by the way, because that, that was the culture and you'd been writing probably by yourself?
1: Yeah, but yeah, it was really difficult. I also was nowhere near good enough yet. And so I'm getting with really great pro writers and I just, I sucked. I just had so much to learn that was excruciating. And are you learning or are you overwhelmed? I think all, and also frustrated at the, the way in which I would write with my drum machine and my bass or a banjo or something and always with a groove, always. I would never sit with a guitar and a legal pad in a windowless room. So were you an early track guy? <laughs> is it? For- yeah, definitely. Because yeah. I like, I like them, well, because I, I write from the music out. The music is trying to tell a story and then I extrapolate the story from the music.
0: Will you write songs with melody first?
1: Uh, just straight yeah.
0: melody. Will you write a melody? Doo doo, Absolutely. Do, and that's what you have and then you create around the melody. Yeah. Are you more prone to do that when writing if you're starting from scratch or an idea, a lyric? Like, where do you like to start if you get to choose?
1: If I get to choose, I like a groove, a beat. Doesn't have to be fast. Just any kind of beat that I can then play along with, whether it's bass guitar, guitar, piano, something, banjo, whatever, it doesn't matter, just something that you pick up and just respond to, and then a melody comes, a melody comes of some sort, and then you, I think the, the music has an emotion about it, it's trying to say something, I'm like, somebody like you, you know, that song started from flying out to LA, meeting this guy, John Shanks, who I didn't know, um, I was so nervous to meet with some LA guy, you know, and I'm like, what do I know, I've showed up with my banjo and everything, and before I went to the session, I went to this Irish pub and I had a pint of Guinness and it was like 10 in the morning and it was really good, so I had another one and it was really good, so I had like a third one. I get in my car, drive over to the studio where he is and by, and by then I walked in and I, I felt pretty, pretty just, not bulletproof, but I felt very relaxed, very confident, you know. And he had this little drum machine and it was going... That's all it was doing, and I pulled my banjo out of the case and go. No idea why, just it just came out, and we're like, "Oh, that feels good." What, what do we do with that? You know, and that's that's it, and then you just the rest comes. Hopefully.
0: So you're creating that vocal melody too without putting the words on. Yeah, yeah. So
1: ba 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 da. So the, yeah. that
0: that and then you'll go. Would you record that? And then yeah. Go back over and go. Okay, you know what's down here?
1: Yeah. Well, a lot of times the gibberish is, is actually trying to say something. Like you'll listen to the tape, which we had a tape then, and it would be. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, there's a there was, some, there, was that a new wind, something. I would write that down. Never, never known. Sounds like <laughs> it's like, screw. It's, it's all in there. I think Mick Jagger calls it making vowel movements. Right.
0: <laughs> so as you're here and you're learning to write when does the ranch start to be a thing
1: uh, well um, this three piece band that I mentioned I had drummer and bass player that I took from this cover band I thought well let's, let's head over to Nashville and do some shows you know? all I can bring is bass player and drums I got no money I can't afford anything um, by right around that time I actually had built out a five piece band I signed a record deal in Australia did, a, did an album, put two more guys in my band, keyboard and guitar. So I had drums, bass, keyboard, guitar and me. And we were touring around playing these songs off my album. So it was starting to happen in Australia. It was pop and had a song on the radio and I was like, here we go, this is great. You know? But all I wanted to do was come to Nashville. I couldn't bring the whole band. So I could bring bass and drums. The least I could bring and make a sound out of it. My bass player and drummer were the two guys that didn't sing. So I had no harmony, no nothing. So my bass player went back to Australia and I found a singing bass player from Florida. And we played for a year or so. And then he went back to Florida and we found Jerry who came in and took over. So we were free three-piece because of no money. It was not my preference. I just couldn't afford any more players. And that eventually became The Ranch.
0: What's interesting about that is we were playing back some of The Ranch stuff with Jerry and it feels like it was just ahead of its time. Like that, that music, and we were listening to some demos and some old, some old, you know, ranch cuts. Right. It, ju- it feels like seven years later, right. That probably hits. Yeah. Do yeah. you feel like it was a bit advanced musically? And that's why it didn't work at the time?
1: Yeah, it certainly didn't sound like anything on radio. And that, that's always the thing, you know, with the record we made in 1997, just didn't sound like anything on the radio. It was hell making that record because we were signed to Warner Brothers in 1995 and we went in with every court-appointed producer in town. Uh, Every one of those situations didn't work Um, because what happens is we would either sound like us, which didn't sound like the radio, or we would sound like something that could go on the radio but didn't sound like us and we were just in hell and just no matter what we did, we we just just couldn't couldn't make it work.
0: Was there someone that was betting on you, though, as Keith Urban? Like, okay, the ranch didn't work, but we still have faith in you. And so many times in this town, once you don't make it, people are like, well, you're just not going to make it. I see it all the time. They're like, well, you didn't make it. Probably not for you. Yeah. Was there anyone that was like, hey, I know that didn't work. And maybe it was just you. Right. But was there anyone that was like, hey, you have that star. Like, let's keep going and try to figure out who Keith Urban is instead of this three-piece.
1: I think that was me. I mean, I I just had that burning belief i know why is because i was i'd grown up on all this music i knew how to make the music but i didn't know how to make it with this band this band had a unique sound about it and the band wasn't i wasn't trying to get the band signed i you know the band wasn't th- in the plan originally it morphed into that
0: so it was originally you
1: it was me it was me and my bass player and drummer yeah. we didn't have a name it was just my name um but we got messed around with so much by the record company and the tipping point was over at that label at Warner Brothers at the time. They just signed me, not the other two guys, and we made the record and they said, oh, we're going to send you guys out maybe to um, play some of these songs. But actually, we're not sending you guys out. We're just going to put a house band together and we're going to send out you, Keith, and about four other artists on our label and you guys will all share the same band. And I went, no, I won't. And are like, what do you mean? I go, "I'm not, I'm not not playing with just i got a band right take my band with me and they're like yeah but we didn't sign your band i go no i know but i mean they're my band it doesn't make sense when i play with someone else and uh when we got dropped from that label and went over to capital i said you have to sign everybody and i'm i'm gonna get rid of my name too to hell with it getting rid of my name we're doing it you know and i had so many people around me saying don't do that don't don't drop your name and just lose yourself in the band but that's what i did
0: when you became Keith Urban, I want to roll through some number ones here. 2001, uh, your first number one, But for the Grace of God. Let's hear a little bit of this. After the years of struggle on a label, to have a hit, did it feel like a relief or did it feel like this is amazing? Because there's a difference. But what, yeah. Was it like, Oh, my God, thank you. Or was it like, Woo! That's what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. All the above, it was surreal. To have a number one song in America was just crazy. I remember that day like it was yesterday. Really? Oh, my God! 20
0: years ago, you still remember it like that, your first one. Fiddly, yeah.
1: I remember exactly the house I was at, what I was doing, who told me, everything, like, detail. Because it was too surreal. I was like, Number one, like the number one most played song on country radio in America. Truly? Really?
0: Did your life change yes, after it. that? After you had a number one?
1: Since you could say it? Um, I felt like, okay, now we got a chance to get some more music going. And um, the next single after that, I think, was Where the Blacktop Ends.
0: Which is weird because it peaked at, I was looking at numbers, it wasn't yeah. a number one. No. But that, to me, is one of the songs I think of when I think of you and your catalog is Where the top Ends. Right. Wasn't even number one. No. Which shows you not all number ones are career songs and not all career songs are number one songs. So true. Even in 2001, 2002. Mm-hmm. Did that song feel big like a number one song, Where the black top Ends?
1: Can't remember that. That know. one you can't remember. No, I can't remember that. I mean, I, I remember making that a whole album with uh, Matt Rawlings. And it was the first time where I was in a studio and having gone through all of the famous producers, mm-hmm. and realizing none of it works for me. It just, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, there was a guy running Capitol Records at the time called Pat Quigley, and he was the president, and I'd used every proper famous producer, and none of it was working, and I went into to Pat, and I said, can I just, I had just done a session with Matt Rawlings for somebody else. The two of us were playing on it, and I clicked with him, and I really liked him a lot, and I said, could I just go and record some songs with this guy? Because I think he can put a good band together and we can just make a record that sounds good. And he went, yeah, whatever. Just It was very much that case of like, go do whatever you want to do. We're not that interested. You could tell. It was like, whatever. So we went and cut Up the Grace of God and like four or five songs. And I took him in and played for him. And he goes, that sounds good. And just finish the record out. It was no big deal. And we handed in the record. And it had It's a Love Thing and Want to Be Your Everything, all the singles that came out. Grace God, Blacktop, all that stuff, um, and they put out love. It's a love thing. And I think I went to number eighteen or something like. Not, it's okay, pretty good. Uh, they put out another song, um, "Want to Be Your Everything," and I think it got to top five or close to it. And it wasn't. It was okay. Everything was okay. And then the label really focused on me, and they put out Grace of God, and it did that. And I could feel everything change after that.
0: Whenever somebody like you comes out, two thousand two. Here's a little clip. Yeah,
2: I be sunshine, on me and
0: you. do you remember this one as vivid your second number one <laughs> yeah you do okay
1: everything about it recording it first time i'd work with dan huff um working out at sound kitchen at franklin and the, the, putting the putting the band together and the the, set, the whole session i remember it so vividly because it a guy, felt magical
0: does a guy like dan huff challenge you
1: so uh, I was going to do the next record on my own, um, Golden Road. And I had already done six, six sides of that record, including Who Wouldn't Want Who Would Wanting Me. I put the band together. I chose the studio. I chose the engineer. I put it all together. And then someone said, you know, you should try and work with Dan Huff. And I went, no, I don't want to work with him because... And they went, well, he's a guitar player. I mean, I, I'm so not going to work with a guitar player who's going to tell me what to play. You know, I don't want that. I've been down this road before. And they're like, well, just give it a shot, you know. And I met with Dan. And this is a true story. And I, it really is a compliment to Dan. Met with Dan. I said, okay, I've got this one song. It's called Somebody Like You. That'd be a good one for us to start on. And I'd already been in the studio for two weeks with this band. We'd cut half the record. It was already done. And Dan says, okay, this song feels great. Um, I think we should use this drummer, and I got, already got the drummer. Well, I think we should use this bass, but I go. I got the whole band, Dan. I got the whole band. <laughs> all right, well, I like to work at this studio. I said, I'm already at the studio. We're going to be at Sound Kitchen. Okay, well, the engineer I like to use is, I already got the engineer. His name's Justin Ebank. And he goes, well, what do I do? And I go, you just show up. That's all you're going to do. Show up, because I want to see what you do. I'm sick of these producers that say they're a producer, but really they have great engineer, great players. They don't do anything. I saw it again and again and again. I'm like, just show up. What the hell can you possibly bring to this session? I want to see. And he walked into that session. I'd been with this band for two weeks. He walks in and I literally could feel all the musicianship go up a whole other level. Just with him being in the room. He sat in the room. The band's playing a bit of somebody like you. And he goes, hey, Chris, just change that snare a little bit there. Okay, yep, yeah, uh, leave that bass part out right there. And you play that bit over there, and he—I watched him arrange this thing, and the whole track just elevated. And I'm like, "Well, damn, this guy's the real deal. He's so good."
0: When did the town start to treat you differently?
1: Tuesday <laughs> It's um, the same it's, day. <laughs> it's an answer. I—I <laughs> um, I, I was already getting support from the town very early on. I think because of all those writing sessions, you know, and. When you write with people, word gets out whether you can really sing, really play, whether you know about country music, if you're legit, or just some poser, really. So I think those sort of guitar pool sessions at people's houses, going to the Bluebird, people knew I was, I was for real.
0: I was watching some of your performance with her, I guess all of it, for, for Tina Turner, for the oh. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. how, did, how did you do, How did you get called in to do that?
1: I haven't seen any of that yet.
0: You haven't? <laughs> no. What do you mean you haven't seen it? You don't watch? Do you watch your stuff?
1: No. Well, I haven't seen that. No. But Um,
0: generally, will you go and watch your stuff? It depends. Are you one of the guys that after a live show you want to go and critique it?
1: I I probably should do it more than I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's always better when I get in there and care.
0: (laughs) How how does a, a, a rock and roll hall of fame invite come with Tina for Tina Turner?
1: Uh because Brian Adams couldn't make it and they just called me up and they go would you come and fill in for Brian
0: it's like yeah, he got day COVID. before
1: the he got covid right yeah. that's why yeah it was a it was thursday and nick and i were going yeah. to the bahamas and my manager calls me and he goes hey can you come fill in for Brian and I'm like we yeah, were going to the bahamas on friday he's like y- you you didn't hear what i said and I was like no i heard you we we're-, we're heading off to the bahamas <laughs> and nick's in the car and nick's like oh i think we should do that that sounds fun but in my, I think in my head, I'm like, this sounds overwhelming. I've got to learn a song in record time, a song I've never played. It's not really my kind of song. It's not my vocal range. It's not in my key. I, I'm so in over my head, you know. I was terrified.
0: You still get terrified? Yeah. Wild to hear. Yeah, that you, well.
1: That, to, that anything musically would intimidate you. Yeah, to be thrown into something that's not really my zone especially in that place. I'm like, I'm going to be standing up on stage in front of McCartney and the Foo Fighters and they're all, you know, I picture them all like arms crossed like, okay, what do you do? What's your thing? And I'm like, well, it's not this. <laughs> this, is not, this is not it. <laughs> That's all I could picture in my head.
0: When it comes to collaborations as far as your career is concerned, what do you look back at and go, man, that one right there, we nailed it.
1: You and who? Uh, Collaboration wise, Yeah. You and who? Oh, so many. I mean, John, doing Crossroads with John Mayer. To this day, I just loved that whole experience with him. Playing, I learned a lot from him.
0: Really? You oh, learned from him?
1: Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. What did you learn yeah. from John Mayer? Um, to make the song your own. You know, I, you got to remember, I still came from cover band Land, which John did not. And so John approaches it as a pure artist and makes the song his own. Because I remember saying to him, no, the verse doesn't go like that. He's like, yeah, but that's how I'm going to sing it. I went, Right on. Of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Is there a gamesmanship <laughs> when you have two people that are so, again, I'll just talk about the instrument for a second. So two people that are so proficient at their instrument, are you guys, do you feel each other out at first? Are you like, is he really as good as I've heard? Or is it, you know, because you've you've heard for yourself, like on a record or on YouTube?
1: Uh, and um, not
0: John specifically, but anyone, yeah. you know, when you, Kind of cross paths Because oh, like I had the,
1: room for Squares and we played mm-hmm. that record to death on our two of us. Um, so I was, I was a fan right from the beginning. Um, I love the conversation, the musical conversation that happens. And the most important thing for me is spontaneity. It's it just, you know, you can rehearse, yeah, 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 but being in the moment and having that musical conversation with each other mm-hmm. this is everything.
0: You ever meet someone and you're like, man, it's going to be awesome and then you're like, man, it's that's, that's not, really not really as good as I thought. Or as, as and you know, I, to, I don't want you to say who. Some people anyway. don't
1: have a collaborative heart. That's what it is. They don't have a collaborative heart for whatever reason. They just don't um, collaborate. They kind of, they have that thing of, well, this is what I do. So you do your thing. I'll do my thing. And I'm like, well, let's do our thing. That's what I'm here for.
0: On the opposite side of that, who have you collaborated with? You're like, oh, well, I didn't expect it to be as warm and as a, a, uh, just a friendly collaboration. But holy crap, we're in, it. we're in it and it's rocking.
1: Pink, I think, was that when we did One Too Many.
0: Why, why do you think you guys hit it off?
1: um i think our voices go together really well and uh, i hope they would but you never know until you hear it but she was just unbelievably um uh giving with that whole project you know for a song that she didn't write to be giving so much of her time and her effort For the, to you know we shot a video as well and then we shot footage which we can use in concert so we have her projected on the screen in concert that's all time consuming and she was just amazing.
0: Is it a, an issue whenever you're with an artist like that? Because they also have their own music and their own singles and mm. calendars. And when they want to put out their own... To get pink on a song, do you go, okay, well, maybe we can release it a single, maybe not, depending on what your schedule is. Right. I mean, is that something? Is that an issue that you deal with with other artists?
1: It's something you have to consider. Yeah, for sure. Because sometimes it's just the timing's not going to work. You know, yeah, it's great. The single sounds really great, but we're not going to be able to release it at the right time.
0: I was reading on the internet that you bowl Are you some of the stuff I didn't know and could be crap are you a bowler? yeah are you a good bowler?
1: I'm okay how do I
0: not know that?
1: I, I don't know we've never talked about it exactly or been bowling
0: true but where, <laughs> do, where, do you, where do you bowl?
1: I haven't bowled in a long time it's just one of those things that I happen to be not bad at sort of out of the gate it's that eye-hand coordination that guitar players have.
0: You know your highest game? Is that what you call it a game?
1: Yeah. No, I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, two hundred. Did you have an average? Two hundred and something. Really? Yeah. It's not great. I mean, three hundred is a perfect game, right? You but ever done that? Definitely could crack. No, but definitely could crack two hundred. You play pool? Yeah. You go to that? I think that's mandatory when you're from Australia. You got to play pool.
0: Is that a thing? Yeah. Very much. Like all the pubs, pubs I grew up yeah. in, they
1: all had pool tables. It's so a say, you, sign of a misspent youth.
0: Well, think about that though. You're <laughs> you're good at bowling. You're good at pool. I mean, is that you're obviously good at guitar? Which one made you good at which? Because you do have the hand-eye coordination there. It's right. It's, it's not a coincidence. No. All of those are very hand-eye coordinated. Do you think being a good guitar player helped you be a good bowler?
1: I suck at base at um, basketball. I cannot get that thing in the hoop. So there goes that theory.
0: You, true or false, you were once the, a road guitarist for a bit uh, for Brooks and Dunn?
1: No. Never. One of the many things on Wikipedia is not true.
0: I didn't think the bowling was true, I'll be honest with you. I right, expected you that go. to be false.
1: Right, okay, yeah. Uh,
0: so where does that story come from? Do you know?
1: Yeah, we toured with Brooks and Dunn in 2001. And I came out and played one song with them as a guitarist. And I think that then from then on... People, you were a backup Yeah, I was player. like the guy in the band... <laughs> Well, what happened was we were going to pull a prank on them and they had a guitar player in the band, Charlie. I've forgotten his last name, Charlie. And he had his hat down real – he wore a hat, wore it down super low, had this like leopard print shirt and everything. And during the tour I was thinking I could probably masquerade as – I could probably pretend to be him and the boys wouldn't even know. And so during one of the shows, Charlie slipped out the back while he was playing. I already had the same clothes on, slipped right out – and reclaimed his spot on the stage and played an entire song. And then in the middle of the, when the solo happened, uh, Kix goes, Charlie! And I ran down the front and was shredding right in between Kix and Ronnie. and It took a beat for them to realize I wasn't But Charlie. they did realize it yeah. eventually. So I think that was where this rumor got started.
0: <laughs> What's like a Tuesday at your house like? And I ask that because you and your wife exclusively are superstars. When you're together, I feel like you're kind of normal. Right. It's 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 a weird situation. Yeah. Like, like when I see you two, if we're in an event or something, I feel like as a couple, you're quite approachable. Individually, it's different because I feel like I know you and I could just come up to you. Yeah. But individually, I would say you're superstar Keith Urban and she is superstar Nicole Kidman. But together, it's almost like a normal husband and wife, and I've not seen that vibe with any other couple. Mm. Usually, it's different. It's like they're much more, uh, they're they're much less approachable together because there's so much more power there. But it feels like you're a normal, normal married couple at home. Yeah, is that true?
1: Yeah, you been to our house? It's like super normal.
0: I saw her tell you once that she was gonna stop and get some milk. Right, and I was like, you do that? What (laughs) do
1: you mean you're gonna get milk? Yeah. Shouldn't
0: someone be
1: flying that in? in like a- <laughs> <laughs> Flying the cow in? <laughs> how, be, be rock and roll, wouldn't it? <laughs>
0: how, how, how do you guys maintain, what do you focus on to try to have normalcy in a life that is abnormal?
1: I mean, look, love, genuine love, and, and genuine gratitude for what we get to do. Nick has it, I have it. And I think uh, it's, we were both raised in a similar Thing too. Australia's really Australia has a thing called the tall poppy syndrome. Every Aussie knows about this, and it's if you get too big in the in the south, they'd say when you get above your raisin, right? They cut you down. You get cut down. The
0: poppy seed plant is another one. The tall poppy gets cut. There you go. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's it. So it's the uh, it's the tall poppy syndrome where you you don't last very long if you're strutting around with this crazy ego in Australia. You get cut down so fast. So you just are always. Down to earth. You're either down to earth, or you're out of work. It's one of the two, mm. and it's it's put us in a really good place to have a good life because of it.
0: What are you grateful for with her as a person? How does she make you better? I'm and I ask this from a personal, uh, just personal place because I've never been married. I've never, mm. I've never even told Me, anyone. I hadn't either. Right? Like I never. Right there was no. I didn't know how to love until now. No. Because I think, you know, as you talk about the trauma from your... I I struggle with a lot of that trauma until now and still am, but have found someone. But what is it about her as a human that you appreciate so much that brings a different side of you out that hadn't been exposed yet?
1: Um, She really loves, like genuinely loves and has real empathy, compassion, caring, and love like I've never, never experienced before. Do
0: you ever watch her act and go, holy crap, that's so good? Or do you see it all the time where you just expect it to be great? No, I'm amazed
1: at it. She's so good. She's so good. Yeah.
0: And I don't know anything about acting. Sometimes people will say, ah, so-and-so's a bad actor. And I'm like, ah, all, all looks the same to me. Yeah.
1: However, yeah,
0: I was watching on Hulu, what, uh, Nine Strangers? Nine Perfect Strangers. Watch the whole thing. She's, right. she's so good in that <laughs> that you then go, okay, that's good acting. Like she, and she is nailing these series. If she's in a series, I'll watch it. Right. It's just to that point now where if your wife is in a series, even if I don't know what it's about, the history yeah. of poop.
1: All right. That's, I'm going to that's her next series. I'm this going to crazy. watch it because she
0: has showed that she's awesome in these things. <laughs> do you do you talk about projects with her? Does she talk about projects with you? And do yeah. you go over them together? And like, should we do this?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because we have to talk about scheduling and where it is and is, how's this going to work. And then of course, a lot of the times reading scripts with her. You know, this the uh, being the Ricardos, which is the Lucille Ball. Film that's coming out. Uh, Aaron Sorkin wrote the most amazing scripts, and just getting to read these scripts is something that is, God, it's surreal. You read with her? Uh, sometimes, yeah. You ever want to do that? You ever Especially wanna- some. No, I have zero interest in acting. Like, none. Zero.
0: Does she ever hear a song of yours and go, eh? It's okay.
1: She doesn't have to. I can tell. <laughs> you can look. But here's the thing that's more important, and you may be able to relate to this. I realized that whoever I play a song for, and I've had you at the house and I've played you things before, what, how you react to that song tells me a lot about the song. But what tells me more is how I feel playing it for you. Mm. I've learned so much about how I feel about playing somebody a song, whether it's you or whether it's Nick. Because, you know, she may go, oh, I love that. And I, inside I'm thinking, I did until I played it and I'm not feeling so good about it now. So I want to figure out what's going on.
0: What is your relationship with singles? EPs albums because it's a new land out there. Yeah. It's uh attention spans are different. Sorry, what? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, but it is getting that way, right?
0: Yeah, so how are you feeling these days about 12, 13, 14 track albums? Why are do you see you changing how you're you know doing Keith Urban distribution of music?
1: I think, I still like to think it comes down to quality. The quality of something because people go, "Oh, people want shorter this, shorter that." And I'm like, only because a lot of what's out there is just not great. It's okay. It's not great. And it's not great because it's having to be churned out at such a fast rate now because it's content, 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 quick. You have it with your show and you, you're trying to maintain a level of excellence with this often unrealistic demand for the amount of it.
0: You're trying to walk a line. Always. How can I give you the best most?
1: Exactly. That's exactly it.
0: And I'm I, I yes. miss a lot because sometimes I do most and sometimes I do best, but I often don't get it right at the same time.
1: And I think we're in this a lot in our society right now. The speed of everything and the and the demand for more and more and more and more quality takes time. Not always, but most of the time it takes it takes a beat. Do
0: you feel pressure from at this stage of your career, labels, managers, like, hey, let's go. We need another something from you. Or are you now, like, guys, you'll get it when you get it.
1: Yeah, I've never felt that. I've never felt, uh, I will say my record company, Capital Records, who I've been with a long time, I've never, ever felt anything but support for, for what I do. They've never given me, like, dragging the record out of my hand, demanding this song or that song, ever. They've been amazingly supportive.
0: Do you need a teleprompter ever for lyrics? You've had so many number one songs. Mm. Do you ever need a reminder of words? Do you have to refresh, or are you just there?
1: Yeah, refresh it if it's going to be an old song. But uh, it's, I have a sick memory for lyrics of songs. It's crazy.
0: You bring up, I, I brought it up, but we talked about it, with Ronnie Dunn, who I've oddly become friends with and we're opposite in many ways but I mean, we, were te- we were texting last night like that's he's uh, there's a big picture when you walked into this guest house he sent over to the house of like a bowl or something that was laying on the counter right but ronnie has and i don't think he would care if i shared this he has someone in his ear the whole time right on, on a microphone yeah side stage right telling him every lyric to every song yeah. he's had it for a long time uh. he's just like i don't want to forget and i don't have i don't have a good memory right so they're like out in the country out in the country i mean they're right <laughs> in there
2: it's excellent.
0: I mean, voice of an angel, but holy crap! Hey, we he can't remember words. That's a anything. high pressure
1: gig for the guy in the ear. It is, right? and
0: it's and it's a yeah, very much so. Yeah, but y- you have it all there for the most part.
1: <laughs> Boy, he'd want to be on good terms with that guy, wouldn't he?
0: It's like Ron, Ron, Ronnie. do uh,
1: yeah, Ron, Ron Burgundy. Ron Burgundy. Oh, yes, man, you, you, you could get <laughs> Burgundy, <laughs> San Diego, real quick. The
0: prompter there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the the new single, and then I do want to get back to the tour. Uh, but the current single is Wild Hearts. Uh, let me play a little bit of this for you. I kind of have a relationship with every songwriter on this song, which is pretty cool. Oh, good. Eric Pasley's a dear friend of mine. Yeah. Um, Jen Wayne. Yep. Same. She's in, now she's in a group herself. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Runaway June, June. June. there it is. Brad Tersey from Old Dominion. How does this room come together or was it a room that came together?
1: It didn't come together. I got sent this song as a finished song. Two verses, chorus, done. And uh, I got pitched the song um, from Roxy King and um, I heard it and I was like, "Mm." I don't know, it's just, I like the chorus. I don't really the rest was not pulling me in and so I passed on the song and then about two weeks later I woke up one morning singing this chorus in my head and I'm like what is that that's that Wild Heart song it's a really special chorus I listened to the song again and I went man that chorus is so freaking good but the verses don't say anything to me and so I called the writers and I said would I said would you mind if I rewrote the verses just to make it more personal, because it, it's such a personal song. It's, you know, following your dreams. I'm like, well, what about, what you know, what was my dream journey from Australia to here? And they sent me the track without anything in the verses, and I just rewrote the verses. That's pretty
0: cool. One that they would go, yes.
1: And I said to them, I said, I'm a writer, so I get this. First of all, I'm, yeah. never, I'm not one of these guys that's going to be like, I added the word the, Right. give me 50%, right? I've never been that guy. Um. And I said, you guys have written a top song. It's top to bottom. It's finished, right? If you can pitch it and someone wants to cut it as is, please do that. I'm not asking to dismantle your song if someone else wants to record it. But if you are okay, I, if, and I can rewrite these verses and they come up the way I think they will, I'm definitely recording this song. And God bless them. They let me do that.
0: The North American Tour, the Speed of Now World Tour 2022. Uh, the tickets are on sale now. KeithUrban.com. How long do you think? You have another 10 years of doing these really high energy shows in you?
1: Uh, I don't even think about that. I mean, just the next year, just the next show. I I mean,
0: I'm injured. My, My whole body's still injured from my Nat Geo show.
1: Right, yeah, I bet.
0: So now I think about it. Things in terms like, could I do another three seasons of that show? And I can't. I now understand I can't. Yeah, I have a hurt sh- wrist, hurt shoulder, hurt everything. My
1: tour is not that show. Let but me your you. tour, I'm telling <laughs> you. Nothing is that show. Your, <laughs> <laughs> You're mad, man.
0: Your tour is, it, it again, is the most energetic show I have ever seen from a superstar who doesn't have to be that energetic because he's already a superstar. And I mean that in the most complimentary way. Right. You could go out and just put on a solid show and be Keith Urban and people would be blown away but you don't, your hair is on fire for no other reason than you live that your art is your hair being on fire during a show.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, I only know one volume to get out there and play at. There isn't, I mean, if it's real passion, and the audience knows it, they're like, that's legit, that's a guy surfing on the wave, not thinking about it, but it's really happening, and I can feel it. It's, it's true, it's in the moment.
0: Do you lose yourself in shows?
1: Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's a perfect balance of being completely present and completely lost in the moment all simultaneously.
0: Do you ever, sometimes I'll drive and I'll get somewhere and I'll be like, holy crap, I don't even know how I got here. Right. Like subconscious has completely taken over and then I feel unsafe and I'm like, you're telling me people are driving. And then I start thinking about other idiots who are doing what I did, not thinking and driving oh, yeah. places. Yeah. But does that ever happen in a show where you're three songs later and you're like, dear God, how did I even get here?
1: no, no, I mean, maybe, no, no, not really, not even a moment, I was thinking about a moment in a song, um, no, because, I, 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 I don't know, I'm just super present, but I'm also thinking, I'm taking a multi, multi-processing, right, which I think you do extremely well on your show, you're listening to me, you're checking that out, you're thinking about other things, you're probably thinking about some other things you've got to do, and it's all multi-processing, all at once. And you you're totally hear as well.
0: I feel like I'm completely present, but I think I'm good at being present while, while also delegating my mind to do other things mm, at the same that's time. That's a good
1: way to put it. Yeah.
0: What do you say on that yeah. microphone when you walk over that nobody hears? You know the little microphone when you're talking to it?
1: Oh, right, you, yeah. You have, you have one of those?
0: Yeah. What do you, what do you, when you walk back, if it's four <laughs> songs in and only your guys on stage can hear you. Because for those that don't know, uh, some of my friends that have them call them, uh, we'll call it a, a, a B mic. Rhymes right. with the word rich. They'll be like, we're talking to the rich mic. Right. If you're going to that microphone, what are you saying in the middle of a show?
1: Why would the mic be called that, by the I way? I
0: don't No idea. That's weird. But that's, what it, that's the only thing I know it as.
1: Right. Oh, that's weird. I've never heard that expression. Yeah, oh, you haven't? No. Oh, okay. Never uh, heard that. Well, I don't say it, but. <laughs> that's um, crazy. So. We stole it from Kenny Chesney when I was on tour with him and I saw he had one. And I'm like, well, that's perfect because everyone's got in ears uh-huh. and you can actually talk to everyone. But aren't you worried it's going to get out over the top? No. You're not at all. Not that, Mike. No.
0: what do you say is it like hey guys we're gonna switch songs yeah. or we're gonna play in a different or on my throat hurt or, like, what,
1: it could me- be something to my guitar tech could be something to the monitor guy could be something to the band it could be something to security it could just oh, be oh really like oh, you yeah. see
0: something out there for sure security has ears in it. they can hear that
1: uh, I know that it's gonna get to where it's gotta get to mm. if maybe not directly someone will relay the message But, yeah, if I feel like there's just heavy-handed security at a place, not letting people have fun or anything like that, I'll make sure it gets taken care of. Definitely. Of
0: all the things that you do as we wrap this up, one of my favorites is when you... And I haven't seen it in a while because you haven't been on the road as normal. No one has, right? When you do those videos with the police escort behind you and you're like, thank you, guys. It's been great... (laughs) Like, I love the blue light video at the end of the show. Right. (laughs) That's funny. So much so that there have been a couple of times where, you know, we did a... We've done a couple of shows. We did a festival and I threw a festival in Texas and we had like four or 5,000 people and we had to get out. and I was like, hey, I want to get that blue light like Keith Urban, because I got to get that shot. Right. So you're inspiring me in ways you had no idea.
1: Uh, that's great. Yeah. It's much better to have them in front of you than behind you. Let me tell you.
0: I, I would agree with I've, that. I've
1: spent way more years with the opposite. So this is nice.
0: Mike, anything that I have missed <laughs> that we need to address with Keith before he leaves? I think that's everything. It's a daylight savings time just about. So it's getting darker now. And so yeah. it feels like it's midnight. So I'm, I'm a little tired. Kind of run through it here. Uh, anything you'd like to say, Reed? You're a massive Keith fan. Reed is my video guy. I am he's been looking fan. He's been looking forward to this, oh, man. this whole life.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: So, Reed, Thank this, this you, is your Reed. one shot with okay. Keith. Is there anything, take a deep breath, all right. that you'd like to ask Keith?
2: All right, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. All I'm thinking about is uh, when I first started learning guitar, my dad got me your uh, Golden Road DVD that had all the music videos on it. Mm-hmm. And I would stand in front of the TV, and I would try to mimic and try to learn, learn the songs, and it was god-awful. But I remember that moment, and then I got the pleasure of going to your show. I think it was in Dallas like three—no, maybe like two years ago. And uh, my girlfriend got me the tickets, and, and of course, you were out in the crowd running around. And um, you came up to us, and I can just remember my, uh, my girlfriend just going, Keith! Keith! Well, that was probably me, actually, <laughs> but um, yeah, so yeah, I, those are just the moments that came up to me, but wow. I'm just a huge fan, man. I, Thank you so much. Huge fan.
1: How's the yeah. playing coming along?
2: Oh, it's it's good. Yeah? Yeah. you still yes, playing? Yeah. yeah. Yes, sir. I, yeah. um, I, I love songwriting. Uh, mm. I don't do a lot of playing shows or anything, but um, I love to pr- produce my own music as well and, and, and write songs, so. Great. Yes, sir. Yeah. There we have it. Hey, an emotional emotional moment here. (laughs) Uh,
0: I'll I'll mention this before you go, too. As we were walking out of our wedding, we played God Whispered Your Name. Oh, wow, man.
1: Thank you. The writers,
0: uh, or one of the writers, saw me out. I was getting some ice cream with Caitlin, and he was like, you guys played When God Whispered Your Name at your wedding. And I was like, first time I heard Keith sing that song, I was like, that's it. Like, I felt that. that That's one of those rare songs in my life where I was like, because when I heard it the first time, I thought, if I can ever have this in my life, that's it. And then when I met my wife now, I went, this is that song. Mm,
1: mm.
0: Like it was the songwriting, it was the delivery, it was the texture, all of those things together in that song. I remember thinking, man, if I ever find this, because I heard the song before, I knew her. Mm -hmm. But when I met her and I was like, oh, this is when God (laughs) whispered your name.
1: Mm.
0: Wow. And it's one of those few moments where a song just- You're
1: super romantic. Punches you in the gut. I, you really are. I, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. You, you, got, you got married, and you love that kind of song, and yeah, yeah. Dan and Shay played you winning.
0: Yes. How cool. And they. The funny part about that was, my wife and Abby Smyers are really close friends. Right. Dan and I have been buddies for a long time, and I was like, "Hey, look, you get." They're like, "Whatever you want, we'll play." Like yeah. Dan was like, "We'll play." You didn't even ask us. Like, yeah. we'll play whatever you want. And yeah. I think they expected us to pick one of their songs because they have a hundred love songs. They have, yeah. they have the best love.
1: But yeah. I didn't.
0: Yeah. I picked a Beach Boys song.
1: <laughs> oh, what song did you pick? Uh, forever. I don't know that song. When
0: every word I say will make you laugh, I talk forever. Um, wow. Dennis Wilson wrote it.
1: I don't know that song.
0: Jesse and the Rippers later did it on Full House.
1: Dennis Wilson wrote it? Mm-hmm. The drummer? Mm-hmm
0: wow and they crushed it and for and what they I'm did is to
1: check that song out they now. put
0: it on a they gave us a file they recorded it as well as a wedding gift to us right and gave it to us it was awesome amazing and what was cool was even ronnie was like hey well, you don't want anything for your wedding like i can't get you anything what do you mean to sing And i was like mm. that's the greatest gift ever
1: mm. so he sang neon moon it was awesome oh my goodness it was awesome wow yeah. how did he remember all the words
0: I worried too. I said, "Do we need to get that mic for you over on the side?" We didn't. He knew the words,
1: though. Had the cell phone up his ear the whole time.
0: All right, get tickets. They're on sale today. Uh, Keith Urban, the Speed of Now World Tour twenty twenty two. They're up. Go see him. This podcast, this show, is heard in all kinds of countries. So all obviously North America, but all over the world. Um, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it and maintain. Same as you. I
1: love what I do. I love what I get to do. And truly, it's a you know, people go, "Oh, it's a gift every day." Just it really is, and I'll and I'll finish with this because I think it's what is what it's all about. Is I went I was born with the addictive gene. I went to three rehabs in the span of three years in the span of eight years. My first rehab was nineteen ninety eight. My second one was two thousand and three, and my third one was two thousand and six. And it took what it took for me to finally get sober. Um, and that journey brought the deepest, deepest level of gratitude for what I get to do, that I don't know if I ever would have gotten that gratitude level without that journey. I think when you come close to losing all of that and then it gets given back to you through grace, in my case, getting back to me, I I was like, I'm never going to take this for granted ever again.
0: Does it make you a more giving person going through? Because for me, I have found that growing up, a poverty kid, and someone who's been through those struggles with addiction, mm. secondary. That affects me and how I treat other people. Mm. Do you think you were two different people before and after your final run, your your final time in rehab?
1: Very much. Yeah. yeah. And, yes, I separate the person from the addiction. Definitely. You,
0: you are known as one of the nicer guys in town. Just generally by people, like Keith Urban is the nicest guy. Were you known early in your career as that guy? Were you always just completely dialed into the human aspect of people? Because now you are and you're known for that.
1: I like people. Yeah. And I like collaborating. I I love, yeah, I love people. I've always loved people.
0: You've always been a nice guy.
1: I've always, I think I've always been um, bridge builder. I'm a bridge builder. I'm an entertainer. I, you know, I think I was the, um, I was the, I was the, the, the peace person. You know, if you have an identity in your home, I was the, the bridge builder between my brother and my father always trying to kill each mm. other I was like interesting I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the one that keeps the peace here and I think I've carried that into my
0: life alright go to a show listen to the music Keith Urban thank you
1: great. always good to talk yeah, to you yeah great
0: good to talk to you too there he is Keith Urban everybody.